Hi, I'm Eric, also known as TrekkieV47, from the Ranger Command Power Hour and the Starfleet Escape Podcast. You're listening to another great Four-Eyed Radio product. For more shows, check out foureyedradio.com. It's morphin' time! Wallop and web snappers! My spider sense is tingling. 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 Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Derek. And I'm Doug. And is your spider sense tingling? Hold on, I'm having a flashback that's telling me... Yeah, yes, yes, my spider sense is tingling. To listen to this show, find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. And just as a quick little plug, if you are looking for all things Walloping Web Snappers, if you haven't already, check out our brand new website, wallopingwebsnappers.com. And today, finally, we get a little curl of something for our Deus Ex Macaron. <laughs> a little bit. Little, little, little bit. bit. Little bit. Little bit. Yeah. Tiny bit. Yeah, if you've been following us throughout our journey through Spider-Man Unlimited, which this is would be a weird first episode for you to jump into, but if you are, one common thread throughout Spider-Man Unlimited is that there are two major female protagonists. I guess it's like three if you count Lady Vermin, but she's yeah. kind of a villain. So two like heroic women in this show, right? Which part of the course for like a superhero show in 1999 is that there's only going to be like two main women and like a mm-hmm. shit ton of dudes. That's just how it goes. One of those is a really cool lady named Naoko. We love her. She's great. We've sang her praises like all the time. The other one is Karen O'Malley, who <laughs> we enjoy seeing on screen. I feel like, like she's well acted. She's like likable, I guess like she's fine, but we know nothing about her. She is the emptiest character in a show full of pretty rich characters so it's crazy that, like, in episode 12, finally... <laughs> the penultimate like, episode of the first season of the show. Yeah, which ended up being the only season. Uh-huh. It's finally like, hey, let's uh, talk about Karen a little bit. Let's Except talk still, about Karen. Let's talk about Karen. And I do also, I do want to, like, be clear about this, because I was thinking about this going into this episode, like... We've we've had a lot of criticisms about Karen, the character, and they've never been like, Karen, you suck. It's always been like the writing of Karen has been weird and flawed and like strangely – she's strangely underwritten. And yeah. I wanted and – I, and I wanted to I – w- I was thinking today like, are we holding her to a higher standard because she's a woman or something? Like, which is a thing that is a problem when you have like so few like women characters or any minority characters. It's always like – you want them to be done as perfectly as possible because there are too few examples of them, right? Sure. So I was thinking about it. Are we holding her to too high of a standard? Because, you know, she's a cool action lady. Like, she fights good. She's been in, like, a lot of episodes and in a lot of pivotal moments. Like, is she as fleshed out as, like, the other characters that we have and we're just holding her to too high of a standard because we want more of out of our female characters? But then I was thinking, like, 
the other comparable characters in the human revolution, which is where we see her in, where she slots into, other than John Jameson, who has a whole history and is tied into Spider-Man and stuff. The other new characters that we met in the pilot alongside Karen were Git and Bromley. But both of those characters, like Karen, they got like origin episodes and flashbacks like later on. Just based on the pilot, we knew that Git was like cool bandage dude who had like bandage superpowers and also had like a weird like childlike affects to him. So and, and he's mute. Interesting stuff. Wanted to learn more about him. Bromley, he's like dressed like a kooky guy, but he's also like British and loves bombs and apparently has like ra- deep seated rage issues against the bestials. Like, okay, there's a lot there. That's all just based on the pilot before learning about the backstories. And then you have Karen, and I'm thinking, like, what do we know about Karen at the end of the pilot? She's a woman. She, she she's a woman. And she can fight, except, you know, except for the times well, when she trips and gets kidnapped. Right. So um, that, that right there is is where I would begin to answer the question that you posed, which is, I don't know if we are expecting more from Karen. I don't know if we raised the bar for Karen. I think that Bromley and Git aren't necessarily like super duper endlessly deep characters, but I think they're consistent characters. I think the things that we learn about them carry throughout the episodes. And I would actually argue that Karen has done more over the course of the series if you're just tallying things up. But the things that she's done aren't consistent, which makes her a character that doesn't have any sort of consistent personality or background or motivation. So when it is convenient, I mean, the reason we call her deus ex Macharen is because when she is needed to be capable, they make her capable. And when she is needed to be incapable, they make her incapable. And she serves more as, I think, something that just moves the pieces around her than moves for any particular reason. Yeah. I think that's my complaint with her. But I think that that it's still answers the question that I had, which is that we're not holding her to a higher bar because she's still, uh, all the characters at least have things that, yeah, like you said, are consistent and are at least like unique to them, except her. Like she is very unfortunately bland, which is in spite of the fact that she's appeared and been part of a lot of stuff. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's, and I just, I think that that was really important to call out because I didn't want it to seem like we were just ragging on Karen all season, which I don't think that we were, but I didn't also want it to come off like that because it's not the character's fault. It's this, that she doesn't have much of a character, unfortunately. Well, and here's the thing, like we're, we're two guys talking about a show that mostly has guys in it and we're talking about a a female character. So if we're botching it, let us know. But I, I do think that at least the things we've criticized, we've been able to point to. Yeah. Um, so if we're missing something, point us in that direction. Honestly, if Karen were just badass action lady and didn't really have much of a personality, but that were consistent, like if she were just always the most capable person in the room, okay, cool. But she just has been shown not to be that unless it's convenient for the story. Yeah, which I think is interesting because the weird thing that this episode poses with her ultimately, which doesn't necessarily jibe with everything that we've seen, but also kind of like slots into this like, weird narrative with how underwritten she is and inconsistently written she is, is that like, she's essentially a character with like very little agency, but who is highly skilled, which is very like interesting and weird. (laughs) And I think that this is a good episode in a lot of ways, but it still doesn't do much for Karen, unfortunately. Which is wild because it's literally about Karen. 
Well, is it though? It, it's about her, but it's still. Well, a, I think it's posed as about her. It's posed as about her, but it's ultimately a high evolutionary episode. We learn more about him than we do about Karen, because even the stuff that we learn about Karen is still so vague, and she doesn't learn about it. So, like, she doesn't grow from it. We don't really, still don't get really insights about like what drives her ultimately. So, mm-hmm. like, it still ends up not even being about her. And she, and, and this is an episode where like, it's her episode. But it's not her flashbacks. It's flashbacks about her. And she doesn't even have any agency throughout the whole episode because it's that's, just her about her being kidnapped. So. No, that's that's perfect. <laughs> and it is – it actually, I think, I think only supports what we've been talking about because at the beginning of this episode, Karen is posed as the person that this episode will be about but only serves to launch into a story about the high evolutionary. Yeah. It's very weird and it's very frustrating because, again, I really want to like Karen – like, I want to like her even more now that we've gotten a couple little details about her. Yeah. I'm like, yo, that's a character you could have done so many things with. What were you doing uh-huh. with her this whole time? I know, right? There, If she's, yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to dig more deeply into yeah. it. But, like, if she's supposed to be built to be someone who was, like, literally genetically changed to be, like, highly skilled, then she should have essentially had superpowers throughout it that could have, like, steadily led up to this reveal instead of it coming out of nowhere, you know? Yeah. It's just, uh, it's frustrating. And I wanted to note, special note, too, we've commented on it before, but her voice actress is, like, stellar. Oh, her yeah. Her voice actress, Kim Hawthorne, is so good, and she's so good in this episode, and I I really think that if Karen were given a more just emotional stuff in general, she would absolutely pull it off. So I want to like call all the positives about Karen because I think it's going to come up a lot in this episode, kind of the negatives about how she's written because she has so much potential to be a great character, well-acted character, even like a well-conceived character, I would say, just yeah. like terribly executed throughout the season yep. this episode inches towards helping a little bit, but doesn't absolve the the whole season of its sins and still kind of commits the same sins that it's been committing the entire time, unfortunately. We talk about the pieces a lot. We're we're not, I don't have a problem with the piece that is Karen. I have a problem with the way the piece is used. Yep, yep, yep. So just wanted to to put that out there because this is going to be a complicated one to talk about. Because like I said, I actually think this is a pretty good episode if you remove the Karen, like the whole Karen-ness out of it (laughs) and just like let her just be kind of a a piece to the puzzle. But Okay. But uh, but... (laughs) I'm excited because I didn't – I don't have strong feelings about this one despite how many fascinating things it introduces. So I will be eager to get to some of the things because I – I, I'm not down on it, but I could certainly be convinced to like it more than I do, which is to say not all that much. Okay. Okay. I don't think. We'll see how I feel at the end of it, too. So I don't know. Uh, we'll see. We're talking about <laughs> we're talking about Spider-Man Unlimited, Season 1, Episode 12, the penultimate episode. This episode is entitled Sins of the Fathers, and the synopsis per IMDb is Karen O'Malley, a member of the Rebellion Against the High Evolutionary, in case you forgot is kidnapped by machine men of the evolutionary. So Spider-Man and X-51 teams up to save her. Meanwhile, the high evolutionary realizes Karen is his granddaughter. What? Dun-dun-dun. The original air date for this episode was March 24th, 2001. It was written by, again, Robert Gregory Brown and Larry Brody. They wrote like half the season, so we've talked about them before. Yes. There aren't really major characters introduced. I guess we get new characters and flashbacks, but ultimately we're just playing with the pieces on the board. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Let's get to it. This episode opens with Peter taking pictures 
honestly, I would argue pretty creepily, of some children ice skating on a converted basketball court. Basically, he's talking about the resilience of oppressed humans on counter-Earth by saying that even in the setting of the basement, even despite all of the circumstances that they have to deal with, they find these moments of joy, like converting a basketball court into an ice skating rink when the weather is right. So kind of a cool sentiment. I like that. Um, It's just a little weird that he's like huddled in a corner taking zoomed in pictures of a bunch of kids, but whatever. (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to say you do you, Peter, because I don't like what you're doing. So I don't know. Maybe don't do that. But anyway, uh, this sort of reflection about the resilience of humans on Counter-Earth is interrupted by Mr. Minio, who just like walks up on him taking pictures (laughs) Um, and rejects the idea that anyone is interested in what Peter describes simply as human interest stories and instead says, go find something that's interesting to humans like action or romance, which is consistent with the things we've seen of Mr. Minio before. Sure. Uh, He ignores Mr. Minio, of course. But uh, as he's doing so, he notices Karen. Um, He's kind of surprised to see that she's out and about. And it turns out that she's actually visiting the grave of her parents. So she's kind of talking to them, apologizing to them for not visiting more often. She's actually questioning her own rationale for how infrequently she's visiting. So, you know, first time that we're kind of getting a reference to the fact that she came from somewhere and apparently her parents are dead. So good Mm -hmm. to know. The moment of reflection is good. She basically says, like, uh, what does she say? Essentially, I tell myself that it's dangerous to go outside, but maybe I just don't want to face the truth or something to that degree. She says, like, I don't, I don't want to see you like this. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so it's still rough. We still we never learn, like, what happened to them. But, uh, you know, a lot of parents have died in tragic circumstances on this mm-hmm. planet. So you can infer plenty of things from it. So just then, as she's having this kind of internal conversation with herself, she's confronted by a squad of machine men who have spotted her and attempt to arrest her. Rude. Yep. Really, really hating the machine men lately. Just yeah. gotta say. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Aside from X-51. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, extra. Yep. Yeah, the, the whole extra meta layers of the real world. Context, baby. All, all machine men are bastards, except yeah. X-51, really. <laughs> except X-51. Because he quit. <laughs> this is fiction, after all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so seeing this scuffle, this scuffle between the machine men and Karen, Mr. Minio instructs Peter to get pictures of that. He's like, that's what we're looking for. But Peter hesitates because what he recognizes is that he should be helping as Spider-Man, but there are so many people around that he doesn't know how he could do that without exposing himself. Um, So he's just kind of like frozen in place and doesn't quite know what to do next. Karen attempts to evade the machine men with, are these established abilities? Like she's knife throwing? I don't, I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen her throw, and she throws a lot, I've never seen her throw knives, I don't think. And she's throwing. And she throws a lot of them. She's, and she's throwing a lot of, she throws a lot of stuff throughout this episode, so. Yeah. Well, it's, it's explained in this episode why she's throwing so many things, but when that happened, I was like, are you a knife thrower? Is that a thing that I just missed? Yeah. Would have been cool to have seen that a bunch of, I mean, if we did, we missed it. If we did, it wasn't highlighted enough for us to like know that as a character thing. Right. This is going to be a significant piece of the Karen puzzle that we've been craving. And if it was supposed to be, you know what I, you know what I learned? I learned a, a term uh, by playing You Don't Know Jack uh-huh. um, called the denouement. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but it's basically this moment that illuminates a bunch of previous events. If I'm getting the definition correctly, like um, Saw, at the end of Saw movies, there's like this moment where you're like, oh, everything led up to this. And it's sort of revealed as to like how 
this all happened. And and I think the sixth sense is frequently referenced when you're talking about this moment. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's used interchangeably in like screenwriting and stuff with, with sort of like the climax. Cause it's sort of what happens at the climax typically, um, gotcha. or, or maybe just before it. But, but I mean, yeah, I, I think it doesn't have to necessarily be like a revelatory thing, but it definitely, if you do see a revelatory thing in a movie, that's that, that is what that is. Gotcha. Well, yeah. this, I mean, this, this could have this episode, obviously not this moment, but this episode could have served that purpose or a similar purpose to that story for Karen if they had highlighted those abilities but just never really explained them like Mm -hmm. it would have been a pretty easy thing to just include in every action sequence to this point her throwing something and then occasionally maybe you have Spider-Man being like whoa nice toss you know yeah yeah. Um, and then this episode would reveal that that's not an accident. <laughs> right, right. That would be really cool. It's it's crazy to me because I feel like that they had to know where they're going with her since this is something that happens in the first season. And they seem to have kind of broken broken the whole season or at least – I don't know. I mean I, I don't know how, how forward thinking they were thinking. But I have to imagine that this is one of those things that they knew from the beginning or at least very early on. Um, mm-hmm. That she was going to be the High Evolutionary's granddaughter. So I'm very surprised that it wasn't seeded or hinted at throughout the season more heavily yeah. or at all. It would have been an easy thing to do, too. So that, that's what surprises me the most, I think, is that it would have been yeah. a really simple thing to build up to. Yeah. Maybe they didn't figure it out until the end. I don't know. I would just be surprised that this isn't one of those major elements that they had from the beginning. But yeah, I, don't I, don't hmm. I don't know. I don't uh, know. I do plan. We'll see if this happens, but I, I imagine it will. I do plan to rewatch the first 12 episodes before we talk about the last episode. Oh, okay. Just because there are things that we've discovered along the way that I would be sure. curious about, like this element of Karen. Yeah. Um, and so we'll see if there's, if, if anything comes from that sort of like massive rewatch, uh, I guess only to be determined, I suppose. Yeah. Anyway, so still stuck by the dilemma of like how to help, Peter ends up failing to act in time at all. And an onlooker ends up stepping in between the machine men and Karen, does the sort of like, you will not harm her moment. (laughs) Um, And the machine men are just like, dude, like you're flesh and bones and we are huge and metal. And so they try to crush him. And that's what finally snaps Peter out of his like, what do I do? What do I do? Because this is when he jumps up and is like, all right, I'm just going to do a thing. And he tackles that onlooker out of the way before the machine men can actually crush him. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. So, you know, he saves them, but the machine men get away with Karen uh, because, you know, he spends time saving this guy and tries to. And I think I think he's like about to jump after her or whatever. And then the other guy he sees that he's like hurt or or could be hurt. And so he goes to check on him. But uh, the other thing that sucks is that his camera got destroyed throughout this whole process. And Mr. Minio, who's been like standing around, is just like, well, you better get a new camera, Parker. Like, mm-hmm. OK, oh, you suck. You're just a, such a jerk, dude. <laughs> Why is he even here? I know. What, what is like, he even doing here? He's completely unnecessary in this entire scene, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, like, that mad about it because he's kind of funny, even though he sucks. But, like, yeah. what are you doing here? Why are you here? It's what, very weird. Were you guys on, a, on an assignment? I don't understand. <laughs> it is very weird. Or was he just, like, <laughs> passing through? Maybe this is behind a church because we learned that the onlooker is a reverend, apparently. So maybe, yeah. maybe Mr. Minio goes to the church that this yeah. is happening at. I don't maybe. know. Yeah, um, that, make, that would make sense, I suppose. Yeah. As much as anything else. I don't know why it's so weird that he's like a reverend explicitly. Like it shouldn't be weird because like why not? It's just you don't usually get like religious references that explicitly in these kids shows a lot of times. Like yeah. they tend to stay away from it. Right. So. You know what's even weirder than him being a reverend? What? 
the fact that his gloves, which are one finger and three fingers, are frequently changing color between the color of the gloves and the color of his flesh. So at certain points, it looks like he only has a thumb, a forefinger, and then one large combined (laughs) middle ring and pinky finger. And it's very, very weird. I didn't even catch that. Just a coloring mistake. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) What do you think religion looks like on Counter-Earth? Like, given that there's like a new god there. Hmm. Oh, that is actually a fascinating question. Well, okay, so we know that there are, at the very least, high evolutionary zealots, right? Like, that that feels pretty established simply by the existence of uh, Electro. Mm-hmm. And so we know that there are people who buy into what he is selling. Um, we also know that there are plenty of people who don't. And then we also know that a world of humans existed before the high evolutionary and for all intents and purposes it reflected the same as earth prime so i would imagine that there was plenty of religion prior to the high evolutionary and that it is still practiced and that they find him to be basically like uh like a oppressive heathen force and what they do is probably I don't know if I, I don't know if it's necessarily frowned upon because I don't like he's their creator God. I don't know that he has an established religion. So I don't even know if he cares that people practice anything. That That is a really good point. That is the thing that's interesting about the high evolutionary is that we've never really seen him really perpetuate like the dogma, the dogma around him. Yeah. He seems to j- really legitimately just be interested in the science stuff. And mm-hmm. like in this episode, he clearly very heavily believes his cause that like creating bestials is just like, because bestials are great. And he, that's yeah. the way to solve every, all humanity's problems. Like he is, he was, we, we were wondering if he was an unreliable narrator. Turns out it's almost kind of worse that he just like fully believes everything. Yeah. And like, he is that committed to it and he really doesn't care about anything else, which, you know, is kind of, I think why, Counter Earth is like such a crap sack world, not because he's a vicious dictator, but because he really doesn't give a shit about running the planet that yep. he now runs. So like everything can just fall apart around him because he's not paying any attention to it. Um, and he just legitimately does not care, which is kind of fascinating. Like, I think that's actually a really interesting take on your like dictator supervillain, you know? God, he is he is the simulation. Like when we talk about living in a simulation, like that's what Counter Earth basically is. It's been turned into that essentially. Huh, yeah, that's interesting. Like he's just he's playing a massive game of like Sim Earth. <laughs> or, you know, With it's no not rules. That, yeah. I mean that no, that works perfectly. But I think you could even take take it like a step further away and just the idea any any idea of like a philosophical, like uncaring God, where mm-hmm. it's sort of the God who creates because he feels like creating and then checks out after that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, like it's not even like he's not really he's not being like explicitly evil. The evil is through his like lack of caring and through putting people in terrible positions and like ha- probably having the power to intervene but not doing it because he's that oblivious to it. Like he legitimately doesn't care, which makes him like harder to 
probably harder to kind of combat because you can't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this this episode is clearly seeding something that I'm sure, considering that Karen doesn't find out the truth in this episode, I'm going to assume they wouldn't have done that if they were going to reveal it in the next episode. So this probably was something that was going to kind of seed, like, how he would ultimately be defeated, like, later on down the line. Because mm-hmm. obviously... Karen is going to be like the one kind of emotional like pain point for him. It seems like so. Yeah, it is interesting, Mm. but it is, it Mm. is. I I do appreciate the fact that he does actually like live by his own ethos. Like he's not a hypocrite ultimately. So, you know, credit for that, I guess, buddy. Yeah, I I guess (laughs) (laughs) by that metric alone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that is, that is a, Man, what an interest. Hmm. 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 Yeah. That would be interesting to think about. Yeah. Anyway, we've jumped way ahead with all that talk because we haven't even gotten to him yet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So uh, rewinding here a little bit. Um, Okay. So camera's broken. Reverend is saved. Karen is not. Cool. So later, Spider-Man ends up searching for the machine men that took Karen, but he doesn't find them. So instead... He reports back to the revolutionaries and tells John, knowing that this is going to suck, that Karen has been taken. And John, John (laughs) says, basically, I shouldn't have let her go out alone, which is frustrating because Karen's been out alone plenty of times and is frequently seen as a capable person. But whatever, John, I think I think what that is supposed to be it's confirmation of something Spider-Man sort of posits right before going to John, mm-hmm. which is that the two of them are romantically involved. Yeah. And so it's yeah. more of a, it's more of like a, like a romantic love interest type of thing to say than like a, I am the dad of the revolutionaries type right. of thing to say. Right. It's more like I, because he cares about her so much, he wouldn't want her to go out alone because he cares yeah. about her extra compared to, to the rest of yeah. the revolutionaries. So yeah. Which whoo, we do see later. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of criticism of John Jameson in this episode. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, but you know what? I it's it's yeah, it's criticism of John, but it's consistent with his characterization. Yeah. Like oh um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yep, yep, yep. He just generally kind of sucks most of the time. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it's yep. it's uh, he's written to suck. So appreciate yep. it. When X-51 tells John that, like, oh, hey, um, I am a great, awesome robot, and I just came up with a plan just now to. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> to to retrieve information about it because he rocks. There's a bit where like John and like Git, like John's talking to X51 and Git's just like doing a little weird like dance. Like it's supposed to be him, I guess, motioning something to X51, but I don't know what it is. It literally looks oh. like he's just like dancing in front of him. It's very weird. I don't know if I even noticed that. It's it's just for a split second. I just don't know what they were do- trying to do with him. What I did think about because Git was there, sort of prominently enough that obviously that both of us noticed him there mm-hmm. do you think git wears the goggles simply to make other people feel comfortable or do you think he wears them to make himself feel comfortable uh probably a little bit of both a little bit of both call me yeah. combi <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think i think both makes perfect sense yeah 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 because he doesn't need them like why does he wear clothes at all like he doesn't have to um right but yeah i think yeah i think it's i think to make himself feel more comfortable and to, and to just to fit in a little bit better makes sense Mm-hmm. I'll have to go back and look at him dancing, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really just for a split second. It's just really weird. But yeah, so X-51's got a plan, but he does need assistance to carry it out. Spider-Man, you know, he's got his guilt complex and he feels bad about it, letting Karen uh, be kidnapped. So he's like, I'll do it. I'll do it. So they are going to be off on a plan together. Yes. 
Before we figure out exactly what they're up to, though, we cut back to the castle Wondagore, where Sir Ram shows the High Evolutionary to a repaired laboratory, referencing the one that Spider-Man apparently destroyed earlier. I don't know what what moment specifically they're referencing. I know that he destroyed many things. Is this the weird spider transformation moment? I'm thinking that because that was a lab that both Sir Ram and the High Evolutionary were working together in. Yeah, so I think that makes the most sense. Wasn't that connected to the water filtration room? Oh, I don't know. That that whole thing was weird because that was <laughs> that was the episode where they were like, it's a power plant, but it's not a power plant. This is a power plant. Wait, no, oh, no, that no, was the episode. No, 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 this was the no. Bromley Focus episode. That's right. Yeah, where they had like the know. weird, like the scum suckers. I don't know. I, it was just. That's it's, right. Anytime they reference something that happened before, it only draws attention to the fact that things are connected. And so I was trying to figure out, like, what specific moment are they referencing? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't. I think it probably was the Bromley lab because they – no, wait. But they don't show him destroying it, though. So he blows maybe, up the equipment, though. He does. Or it could have been the Atlantic City one because he literally drives a rocket into that one and blows it all up. Yeah, but they're not, they're not going back to Atlantic City in this episode. That's true. Oh, wait. No, you're right. And that wasn't really a lab. That was a DNA recycling place. I mean, they have too many laboratories. Let's just say that. <laughs> they do. They have laboratories in subway stations. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, there's too many of them. And that's, that, this is just highlighting that problem because we have no fucking idea. Because yeah. oh Spider-Man has destroyed many laboratories. <laughs> laboratories are the, the wooden crate warehouses of this series. Actually, I mean, yeah. That act, and that fits. Everything is set against a laboratory. Like that's, there's been so many fights that are just in laboratories <laughs> that is so true yeah it's so funny nondescript laboratories you don't know where they are or what they're used for you just know they're a laboratory huh. that's so true and yeah. if it's the world because i mean you know yeah the yeah, world's yeah. just gonna have a lot of labs so that's so funny <laughs> that's such a weird little little thing <laughs> yeah anyway they're at a, new, a brand spank a new lab that's the point just then, as they're, like, inspecting this new lab, or I guess as the high evolutionary is inspecting this new lab, two very cool-looking guards. Have we seen this type of guard before? No, I don't think we have. Like, the masked guard? Yeah. Yeah, they're really cool-looking. They're I think, cool. Yeah, and I think they're, like, lizard people, maybe, because you see the tail on at least one of yeah. them. But, yeah, yeah, it's neat. I dig it. Yeah, I'm into them. They bring Karen to Sir Ram, and high evolutionary just happens to be there. So Sir Ram was expecting Karen to be there, but not high evolutionary. When the High Evolutionary is like, who is this? Sir Ram basically just says, like, a revolutionary. We got her. But the High Evolutionary sees through, like, a little tear on Karen's coat, a birthmark. And he looks at it a little bit closer. And then there's this very brief, very brief flashback of a baby with the exact same birthmark in the exact same place. And as a result of this flashback, the first of seven, I will point out, (laughs) seven flashbacks, I believe, uh, he orders that she be brought to a private chamber, which pisses Sir Ram off. Yeah. I, I actually I like how they dull out the flashbacks in this, actually. I don't really have a problem with them, except there's one that isn't sepia tone for literally no reason. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, that's annoying. I, that's just a mistake, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just a lot of them. More than we've gotten, I think. <laughs> yeah, but I think they're also way briefer than normal. Like, I kind of like that they're just, like, kind of quick, literal flashbacks where he just kind of flashes to a memory it, it just very briefly, like, just throughout the entire episode. Because I think, like... What's happening in his flashback is not complicated. You can piece it together pretty quickly or easily, oh, yeah. but because they dole it out in so many increments, it does, I think, take a little longer to put those pieces together and also, like, 
I think you're a little more invested in it because you're sort of like, wait, okay, so when's the moment where it clear clarifies itself? Like, when is this going to lead to, like, whatever the pivotal part of the flashback is because you're getting just such few bits throughout it? Whereas otherwise, like, if it was just one prolonged flashback where he was just explaining it to you, mm-hmm. it would be like, oh, okay, so, you know, there's a baby and he experimented on her. Okay, whatever. Like, it's not that interesting, but it feels a lot more tense and a lot more interesting because of the way it's doled out in these quick little increments. Well, I think that the way that they structure these flashbacks, first off, they should be doing more flashbacks in every episode. So mm-hmm. I feel like I presented this as an anti-flashback uh, stance, and I definitely don't have that. Sure. I actually think we should be getting Peter flashbacks too, which I think I've mentioned before, Yeah, but we just don't. So pro flashback, I think that the way they structure these flashbacks also distinguishes the high evolutionaries, I guess, reason for having the flashbacks or the nature of the flashbacks from the other episode that was flashback heavy, which is Git's episode. Mm-hmm. I think Git, his flashbacks are really just memories that he's having. They're like yeah. reflections or moments of reflection. In this case, these are like triggered flashbacks. He is seeing something and he is remembering a memory or a piece of a memory that he has not thought about or considered in a long time or wasn't expecting. And I think the abruptness of these really illustrates that he's like caught off guard when he's having them, or he's like taken out of the moment when he's having them. That's the thing that I like about this episode. um, Cause I think that it, it is structured really well in that regard, especially because yeah, it's like little like lines that will trigger him or like things that he sees triggers him into, into having those flashbacks. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a hard thing to write, like and, and write an episode around it to have like, and to still have those flashbacks, like feel relevant and tied into it and having like lines paralleled between what's said in the present day versus, you know, what's happening in your flashback. Like it's not like a revolutionary thing that's happening in this episode, but I know that that's, that's a challenging thing to write and still sure. make sense, especially when you're dealing with a character that like is meant to be a villain that you're meant to not like or side with. Mm-hmm. So I, I give a lot. I think I, I think they pull it off really well in this one, and I give them a lot of credit for doing that as well sure. as they do. Yeah, yeah. So Spider-Man and X-51 do end up gaining access to this building that is identified through our little comic captions as the central security complex. And they do this by hiding Spider-Man inside of X-51's bulky body um, (laughs) and taking advantage of the fact that X-51 still looks like a machine man and is still uh, on occasion able to fool other machine men. Mm -hmm. So he just walks right up to the front door and a machine man asks him to put in his clearance code. um, And instead of putting in a code, he just like hacks the, the little console and walks right in. The two of them end up doing quite frankly, and, 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 Maybe this was more interesting to you, but it was not interesting to me at all. A bunch of techno babbly stuff in order to figure out where Karen is. Oh, yeah. I don't care about that stuff. It wasn't interesting. <laughs> they they go into like – I okay. I will say I appreciate the fact that they thought it out. So I don't want to hate on them for thinking about how this works. I just don't care how it works because X51 goes into a whole – explanation as to how, what they're doing and I just had no interest in writing that down for myself at all. So techno babble stuff. Yeah. But while they're doing this, we we get another flashback. So we get our second flashback from the High Evolutionary. This one's another really short one as most of them are, and it's just a guy who isn't really identified, but we kind of can put the pieces together pretty quickly saying, "Father, good news. Catherine's having a baby." And then we cut to the High Evolutionary in the present. Mhm. Yes. And he in the present is looking at a photo of Karen. He's actually he's looking at like a photo of her on his computer, I should say. So he's like comparing data or whatever. Um, and he says that while the name doesn't match, Karen is who he thinks she is. She has to be because everything else other than the name matches. 
So he states that the time has come to finish what he started. Uh, we don't know what he means, though I think you can glean what he's referring to by the end of the episode. Interesting. I don't know if I ever knew what he was talking about. So oh, really? I'm curious to get to that point. Okay, cool. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I guess I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. So in the private chamber where Karen has been brought, uh, Lady Vermin basically just like talks shit on Karen and humans and says like, y'all think you're so great, but you're not great. And this guy over here points to a photo of the high evolutionary has proven that you all suck. And Karen's like, <laughs> what the hell, man? And so like escapes from her bonds, which is really just like her wrists are tied up. It's like not a big deal, but lunges at Lady Vermin. And I would love to point out that the fight between Lady Vermin and Karen is so ridiculous. Lady Vermin tries to scratch Karen, like literally just like claws out, tries to scratch her. And I I did pause to make sure that I saw this correctly. Karen hits Lady Vermin with a tray that had lipstick, perfume, and presumably other lady things on it. It is so silly. It is so Girl silly. Fight. Girl fight. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what they're doing here. I mean, they don't they don't go nearly as hard in on like the quote girl fight as they could have. So it's not a bad thing. It's just like a funny, silly thing. And like probably a little out of character for both of these, these two. Little, I'm sure that Lady Vermin can fight better than she does in this scene. <laughs> well, and we know Karen can. I think Karen is only redeemed by the fact that she continues to use that tray as like a tool. Yeah. Otherwise, it's like you threw makeup batter (laughs) what are you doing (laughs) yeah yeah it's funny yeah so then karen attempts to escape by breaking the window with the tray like you said using it as a tool and she tries to jump out although isn't she like really high up in like a skyscraper or something and she's just trying to jump out the window seems kind of dumb luckily luckily yeah there's a force field that stops her from just jumping out of a window of a skyscraper good point (laughs) I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> yeah, what was your plan here? <laughs> yeah, so so she hits this force field, and then the photo that Lady Vermin had pointed to turns out to actually be one of the many monitor screens we've seen throughout the city, really. <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's like, oh, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm right here. I'm watching all of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. High Evolutionary is also a creep. Yeah. And and the high evolutionary just is like, oh, yep, by the way, hi, um, and shares that the force field she just ran into is actually programmed specifically to Karen's DNA, which is sort of the first indication to Karen that something is different about the fact that she's been imprisoned as opposed to, like, anybody else from the revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he even says, like, stubbornness runs in the family. Um, and she's like, what do you know about my family? And I, he's like, more than you know, or some, something like that. But he alludes to knowing who she is. Yeah. And she's like, what the fuck? I don't know anything about you, dude. Like, get away from me. You're a creep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then we get another flashback. We do. Yes, we do. Yeah. So in this flashback, it's the uh, it's a pregnant lady with the high evolutionary, but without his like fancy drag on. Mm-hmm. This time he is, as we've often seen him, holding a test tube with an inquisitive look. Yes. Probably going to do sciencey things. And that pregnant lady being in the same shot does, <laughs> does not bode well. <laughs> nope. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> so at the security complex, X-51 and Spider-Man end up getting discovered... But they do get most of the data. Uh, I think the screen specifically says 93% of the data. And I think they later confirmed that they got about 90% of it. So um, they get the data, but the alarms are sounding. And they attempt to escape 
from the facility. Unfortunately, the facility is a security facility, so it is full of machine men, and the machine men confront them. They escape the facility by basically, like, what happens is Spider-Man jumps on X-51's back because X-51 is like, I have a plan. But the plan is literally just to just, like, fly through the ceiling of the building and just, like, crash through the roof. (laughs) Hey, it works. It works. (laughs) (laughs) They get outside. (laughs) But because they crashed into the ceiling and that's, like, not great for stability's sake, they end up crashing through the building and landing in, like, the water because the building's, like, on the water, I guess. Sure. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They're in the water. doesn't really matter. They end up popping up from the water. There's even more machine men. And then there's like a little bit of a chase scene, but ultimately like it's fine. Yeah. They realize like being under the water was probably a better idea anyway. So they just go back under the water and the machine men fly away. I like the water fight. It's creative. It's really creative. I like Spider-Man riding X-51 for a while and then basically like surfing on him and then like trying to to web up and like swing the flying machine men away while he's like surfing on X-51. Like it's really fun and really creative. I, I, I like that a lot. Yeah, um, I thought it was fine. Like, I don't have any complaints, but I, 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 I guess I should go back and, and watch it and appreciate it more because you're right. That is, that's at the very least, it's different than things we've gotten. Yeah, I like that X fifty one was like on his back. I thought that yeah. was funny. It's cool. I, I guess I'm just like I don't really, I don't really like a lot of the action on this show. Like, that's that's not at all why I why I like it in the way mm-hmm. that I do. So when they kind of – I think it just moves too slowly most of the time. Sure. And it's not really – it's usually not that creative. Uh, so when they do something really creative with it, like I, I, I'm I, really into it. I think they pull it off with this. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's that's something to – well, I was going to say that's something to look out for moving forward. But we have literally one episode left. So. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Well, so, yeah, Spidey and, and X-51 do decide to head back to the Revolutionary HQ, and Lord Tiger reports to the High Evolutionary their breach of the security complex. When Sir Ram, because he sucks all the time, always has to uh, call out anything that's happening that isn't like, he expresses some confusion over uh, High Evolutionary's kind of, like, seeming lack of concern. Um, like, dude, why don't, why don't you want to kill him? But this this is this leads to uh, High Evolutionary having another flashback. He's not really listening to Sir Ram. In his flashback, he's looking at a microscope uh, with that same pregnant lady in the background. Again, does not bode well. <laughs> so after that, he shares that long ago, in anticipation of an event such as this, I left any intruders a small surprise, which is a really weird way to frame like what he actually did. But yeah, I. So I agree with you that most of these flashbacks are done well and placed properly. I would argue this one is not. It has nothing to do with what he's talking about. And I actually think does a disservice to what they're attempting to set up. Because what he says about like long ago in anticipation of events such as this, like it does reference something later, but I don't think it references anything to do with the flashback he has that interrupts his conversation with Sir Ram. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird one. And it's also like the flashback is kind of just a repeat of the information that we got in the last flashback, which is he's doing the science things around a pregnant lady and then that, that, that has bad implications. So that's that's a weird one. That one, it almost feels like something that was like rewritten because that the line doesn't really make any sense. It seems like it's alluding to something different than what it actually, I guess, seems to be alluding to that we get very shortly after. So I wonder if there if if this episode had something different in it and was sort of rewritten, but that the flashback in this little sequence wasn't like rewritten to match what actually happened. I Maybe. don't know. I mean, I can tell you this much. When that flashback happened and what he says immediately following it happened, 
I was expecting something very different than what we got. Oh, sure. I mean, very different. (laughs) I agree. When, when I watched it back on rewatch, like knowing what's happening after this, it's just like, Oh, that's, that's what he was talking uh-huh. about? Okay. <laughs> yeah, especially because he specifically says long ago and an event such as this. Like, he's he's making a pretty grand statement about the thing that he anticipated. And it's, like, really not that big a deal. <laughs> no, it's really not. Yeah, it's it's very, very weird. Um, that's why I really wonder if there was, like, some kind of rewrite thing that happened mm-hmm. that, that, that just in, impacted that. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't, we will learn, we will, I guess, learn what he's talking about shortly, but we don't know what he's talking about right now. Um, But there is another flashback. Um, This one actually is like more substantial and significant. In the flashback, uh, High Evolutionary's son walks in while the previous flashback is going on, um, which was the High Evolutionary looking at a microscope with a pregnant lady in frame. Um, And he asks what the High Evolutionary is doing to Catherine. Dun, dun, dun. Hmm. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of like how they could have kept those flashbacks and reordered. Like if they kept all the elements the same, but just sort of reorganized things. I think they could have. They could have still made it work. Honestly, it's really simple and basic. But the but the Sir Ram could have just been like, "You're letting them go. What are you doing?" And then that just leads into the son walking in and asking, "What are you doing?" Like at least have like the line match up, even if like the. Yes. Is different, you know? Okay. Here, here it is. You have that exact thing that that actually put together what I couldn't quite figure out, which was like how to how to make this make a l- tiny bit more sense so that the disjointed pieces still could exist in the same space. And if that line triggers him to have that memory, and then Sir Ram basically repeats that, like, are you even paying attention or something to that degree? Then you snap you snap high evolutionary back into the present situation. And that's where he delivers the basic. He needs to do it with less gravitas. Yeah. Um, but basically say like, Oh, forget it. Don't worry about it. I have a plan. I, yeah. It, it'll be fine. I'm not concerned. Yeah. Or even like, I always have a plan or something yeah. like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not, it's not terrible. It just needed like a little bit of, yeah. a little bit of uh, a line here or there. Yeah. It could have yeah. been just fine. So, okay. Yeah. Although I will say, like, this next thing is a little dramatic. Um, once again, the High Evolutionary basically tells his knights to be prepared for a reckoning. <laughs> I don't think that's dramatic, though, because what happens in this episode is it, it's underplayed, but it's a big deal. Yeah, I like, guess this is so. a, This is a big – This is it's. I, I do agree that it's not presented in the way that it should be because it should be presented with more weight. But, like, the final battle of this episode is, like, a major final – it's a major confront, like, pretty game-changing confrontation arguably right so like i i think i i think that that's that's the thing that he's referring to again they could have like played it out and made it more of an epic battle but in theory the fact that the end of this episode has the high evolutionary staging a full frontal assault on the high evolutionary's like actual place of living that is a big deal so you know okay i don't think it's not a big deal i just think like i don't know let's get to it because i i'm not convinced (laughs) Okay. I think it's weird. I think it's I think it's actually pretty weird and I think the way they presented it is is not totally lining up for me. So we get back to the revolutionary's base, right? And Bromley says that the data that they found basically contains a homing beacon that was activated the moment they started digging into the data, which is what the high evolutionary was referencing when he said I long ago anticipated something like this happening and left them a small surprise. Yeah. To me, that's a little deflating. I was like, oh. It's a silly line. (laughs) Okay, fine. Uh, Whatever. Um, 
just as they figure that out, basically once they're like, oh shit, they figured out where our, our current base is, which by the way, is already a new base. This is like the second base that we've seen them have. Yeah. Oh, and also the way Bromley figures it out is from a blank green glowing screen is what he's reading when he's like, they have a homing beacon. <laughs> oh yeah. There's, there's more techno babble stuff where he's like, I need an encryption code yeah. and I can't they don't even... do this much and blah, 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 blah. They don't yeah. even try to draw like vague lines on the screen. It's just a glowing yeah. blank green screen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It is 100% telling us and 0% showing us. <laughs> yeah. So right as they discover this, the machine men start attacking their base from the outside. And it's it's a big deal in the sense that they pretty much succeed in driving all of the revolutionaries out of their base. Um, their goal was to destroy the base. I mean, that's as, I guess that's as big a deal as the first time they did it. But it seems like this is a thing that probably happens a lot. Yeah. As far as like trying to evade evade detection, but uh, luckily Bromley says like I got about half of it, and I think we can work with that. So he grabs the disc, and they all evacuate the base. Yeah. So we got a brief cut to Wondergore Castle, where the High Evolutionary asks Karen what she knows about her background. One thing before we get to like the weird part of this, uh, I do like that Karen calls the High Evolutionary the High Muckety Muck himself. Yeah, so many weird <laughs> insults in these past few episodes directed at the High Evolutionary. Yeah. What was last week's the, the Pee Pooba? <laughs> yeah, Evolutionary Pee Pooba. And There's the another Muck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Muckety Muck. There's another couple of things that she says in this episode that I'm like, God, that's odd. Like, it's so, oh, it's not yeah. good, but it's hilarious. <laughs> the, I know the I know at least one that you're going to reference, and it's yeah. I actually love it. I think it's amazing. I, w- I I lost it when I when I heard that line <laughs> both times that I watched this. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. There's another insult that she has. It's not as good, but it's also funny. The other thing that he says that is like obnoxious, it, like in a vacuum, like, okay, cool. It's obnoxious having the context of the entire season because he's like, what do you know about your background? Do you ever question why you have an unerring accuracy and grace? Um, I'm so annoyed by that. It's like... Because it would be so easy for them to pull off. Just don't ever have her trip, which we've seen her do stupidly. Don't ever have her just get fucking kidnapped for no damn reason, which has Mm -hmm. happened like multiple times. Like have her be – if you want her to be competent, have her be competent all the time because when she's competent, it's fine. So, but, yeah. but they throw, because she's the lady and has to be the damsel sometimes, they've like ruined their own like setup for this by not having her have unerring accuracy and grace. Cause that would be cool if she never failed. And then you can look back and rewatch the season and be like, oh, dang. Yeah. She's literally perfect at everything. And now they're giving a reason for why she's perfect. That was kind of a cool long game that they were playing with that, but mm-hmm. it doesn't like line up with what they, what they'd been doing. And, it, and it's annoying. And like normally, if it was like a retcon or something like I don't I don't I don't normally like get that mad about that kind of stuff. But considering we have been complaining about the inconsistency of Karen and now and praising the consistency of other things, which right. I think is important. This isn't a show that cannot be consistent. Right. And they have been good about seeding like seeding things and planting things and then, you know, playing out the mystery further. Like they clearly had plans for things that, that, that they've sort of played out. So like the fact that like as much as you've been complaining about the inconsistency of Karen's abilities and like what she can do and who she is. And now like the thing that's supposed to sort of like solve who solve Karen as a character, that inconsistency still ruins it. Like it's just like, God damn, you guys like, uh, like it's too late now. There's nothing they could, they yeah. could have done about it at this point. 
the best that you can do as a retcon. And if if moving forward, if they just ignored everything and was just always had her be like supernaturally perfect and that to the fact that she is just sort of like, it's really weird that I'm that good at this stuff. Like that would be fine. But, you know, this is the penultimate episode. So we're not going to get to live in a world where like we can just live with the retcon because the majority that we've gotten of Karen has been inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hate this. I'm not yeah. even going to be nice about it. I hate this. Yeah, I, it's yeah. really infuriating. <laughs> it really is because uh, they could. It just it would not have been that hard to make to make all this setup work. Mm-hmm. I, and, and like I said, if this got a second season, I I could live with it a little bit better because it could have been like a Harry Osborne from the '90s show situation where it's like, yeah, you're you're Peter's best friend, right? And we're just like, I guess we're just going to say he's Peter's best friend now because it makes yeah. more sense and works. I would be okay with that, but we are only going to get one episode after this. So, like, the majority, the, most of the Karen that we've gotten has been inconsistent. So, it, it just sucks. Yep. Yep. I actually think she would have naturally been more interesting, too, like, from a personality standpoint, if they had really been working on this or working up to this. Because then you could have had a character that was, like, sort of like the fun kind of cocky that says things like, oh, I never miss. And does sort of, like, you you had said, you had posed, like, what if, what if at some point this was supposed to be a Mary Jane character? Mm-hmm. If you added a little bit of that spunk to Karen... But it really only came out when she just did something awesome. I feel like you you already have a more interesting, enigmatic character with a personality than the one we actually got. Yeah. Just yeah. by doing that one thing. <laughs> yeah. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. And it's like, it's not even the fault of, it's not really the fault of this episode, I guess, if this is what they wanted to lead up to. It's just, all the lead up was just handled poorly because, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it sucks. Oh, well, it's it's cool in concept if you'd gotten it right ahead of time. And it would have been a nice subversion of like awesome character, but they're awesome for a reason. Like I, I would have I would have been about that if they'd done mm-hmm. it right. But oh, well, anyway, it's it, nothing you can do about it. Um, <laughs> we, get, we get a we get a, a brief cut back to underground where Bromley discovers that Karen is being held at Wondergore Castle and John, you know, because he's been fucking Karen, obviously. Uh, he orders an all-out frontal attack on the castle, and everybody's like, what? That's that's a little crazy. And John's like, we're talking about Karen, the love of my life. He doesn't say yeah. that, but that's implied. This is this is, this is is my biggest complaint with John Jameson. Not the writing. This is consistent with John Jameson, but the character John Jameson, and I guess everyone around him. Like, this is this is where you mutiny, gang. This is where you're like, this seems like a very dumb plan, John, and you seem emotionally compromised. Yeah. And we will see, because this is this is the show that it is, that ultimately everything turns out fine for the most part. But this is a very dumb plan motivated by very unsound reasoning. <laughs> We're talking mm-hmm. about Karen. Well, yeah. Does anyone else give a shit about Karen? <laughs> right. Right. We haven't seen that. <laughs> you could have. Uh, <laughs> I was about to get fired up. Uh, you could have made her an invaluable piece of this team if you had been working on the unerring accuracy and grace. And then everybody would have been like, you're right. We can't do this without Karen. Yeah. It's so frustrating. It, that's the thing that's frustrating about this episode because I, I really, like I said, I like this episode, but it only works like in a vacuum. And, and it's like a thing that like – this this is an episode that requires so much setup and they just like botched the setup so much, which the setup shouldn't have been that hard. Like it, it wouldn't have been that hard. They already showed Karen is competent most of the time. It's just like so many other times where she's incompetent, you know. 
Yeah, the the uh, the enough that we wanted that to be the case. Like we had gotten the taste of it, and we're calling for more of it. You know. Yeah, uh, it's just so it's so frustrating because, like I said, this it's this episode would have worked better. It's not the it's like it's it is the episode's fault because like they they could have written around like what they'd already established maybe, but it also isn't if this was what they wanted to do with the episode because it just relies so much on what came before. I don't know. I've, I've said that like a million times at this point. It's it's just a frustrating situation to be in. Hello, amazing friends. We'd just like to take a minute to thank our spectacular and up patrons, Gemma Nicole, Katie, and Joe. And if you are interested in becoming a patron, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. We have three different tiers that you can opt into, the first of which is our $1 tier where you get early access to episodes, a bunch of Patreon-exclusive bonus episodes such as our Spider Bite mini-episodes, you get to participate in our Walloping Word Snappers interactive improv game, and you get your own random villain alter ego. If you join us at our spectacular level at $5, you will get all previous rewards, in addition to our monthly After Dark commentary episodes, a downloadable, high-quality poster of our logo art, a personal on-air shout-out on each episode we record while you're a patron, and a Twitter shout-out and Twitter and Instagram follow once you become a patron. And if you really love what we're doing and you want to be a part of it, you can join our amazing tier at $30, where... If you stick around at that amazing tier, you could guest on the episode. That's right. You could be on an episode of Walloping Web Snappers to talk about anything that you would like that is in the Spider-Man canon or mythos. So at the end of the day, it's you guys who lets us keep doing what we're doing. So thank you for that. No matter what level you're able to contribute or if you're just an avid listener who's stopping by, trust us, your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Thank you. Thanks. Oh boy. Anyway, at the castle, the uh, high evolutionary reveals to Sir Ram and Lord Tiger that he plans to turn Karen into a bestial. I think that's what he was referring to before. The thing that you, that, what was the, I don't even remember what the line was. Where he says that long ago I put this, like I had a plan or whatever. Long ago in anticipation of an event such like this, I left any, oh, the reckoning? No, not before that. What was it? Oh, God. Hold on. I'm going to scroll back up because it was a thing that you didn't know what it was referring to. The hell? Oh, the thing where it's the time has come to finish what he started. I think that's, that's oh. what that is. I think the thing he's finishing what he started was creating the first human bestial, like an, a fully functioning human bestial. Okay. That's what I think because we've seen that he's done – he's been doing experiments on it, but none of them had worked out. The, the only ones that we've seen is with John, which like turned him into just like a part human, part bestial like man-wolf. And mm-hmm. then Spider-Man temporarily turned him into a spider creature, but like we never really got to see the full result of it. And the thing that I thought that I was assuming was that like the experiments he was doing on Karen was to make like the perfect like not flawed – bestial out of a human which he hasn't been able to accomplish and i guess because he was working on her since she was literally gestating is that she'd be like a better candidate because he's already like primed her or whatever like that's probably what he was trying to do to her as a baby by altering her dna was turn her into a bestial because that's sort of been his goal all along it seems like right i guess that's the thing right like i i i can't argue with any of the dots that you're connecting because i've seen all those dots we've talked about them we've asked questions about them but I feel like that's a lot of work on our part to have to do to actually figure out what he's been up to because I don't even think 
even aside from from this, like I don't feel like they're putting all the weight in the right places to really stress that this is his ultimate goal. Um, I guess so. I don't, but I don't think it's meant to be like this is the ultimate reveal of of all of the high evolutionaries' like intentions. I think that the, that it's still kind of a mystery for what like is his ultimate plan to do this to all of humanity or not. Like we're not, we're still clearly like not meant to know that yet. But I do think that like. There is a major goal that he has that we have been unaware of, but we've had hints towards, is that he does want to successfully turn humans into bestials, which is a thing that obviously, like, to Lord Tiger and Sir Ram is a controversial thing. So, like, that's why no one else knows about it. So, mm-hmm. that's going. So like, once he's able, if he ever successfully does that, it's going to be kind of a weird big deal to have done that, right? So, like, and that's probably, going. that would probably be a thing that would... I'd imagine if he ever does it, like that would spur a whole other civil war with his bestials, and that would probably cause like his Knights of Wonder to split up or whatever. Like I could see that being a thing down mm. the road, but I don't think it's a thing where it's sort of like we have to do a lot of work for it. I think it's I'm I'm saying that as that being a thing that's further seeding for the future for like what his goal is. Like I think that we're we're just it's just unveiling another aspect of him. Like that's a goal that he has is to turn humans into bestials. It's weird that he plans to do that and other bestials don't like that. There's probably going to be more to it in the future, but I do think that it's probably just another piece in what's a larger plan and that's the larger plan that he was referring to before, if that makes sense. So why why does this lead all up to Karen? What is the significance of this being Karen then? Uh, that's I don't know that. I wonder if because we're not sure where the high evolutionary came from, right? We know he showed up to counter Earth on a spaceship. Mm-hmm. We don't know if he came from our Earth, if he's from some other planet. Like I don't think they really specified that or they've at least kept it vague. So it's entirely possible that her DNA is primed for it because he himself like maybe isn't human or something like that since she is his heritage or, or, or it might not even be that it might not even be a scientific reason. It might just be his ethos because he like, what is, I don't remember what he says explicitly, but when Lord Tiger is like saying that like, that's weird and bad. Why would you turn a human into bestials? Humans suck and bestials are awesome. I think that's when, that's when he's like, he, that's when he's like the the cure to like humanity is to like turn into noble animals or something like that, like that. And maybe it being Karen is I've like lo- completely lost my train of thought here. Shit. Because <laughs> I had it, I had it, but I don't know. Uh, I lost track of where I was going with it. I think what it I, I think it's just the fact that it is Karen and it is his heritage. And so the first person who should be allowed to be granted the privilege of becoming a bestial, if he was going to pick any human, it would have to be like a relative of his. Like I think is what he's getting at. It's sort of like, okay, now that I have you here, you should be the first person to be converted into a bestial, because that is going to be like and a religious experience and like a major moment for this world that I'm trying to shape. You know what I mean? So hmm. like, it's not necessarily a logical stance, but nothing he does is logical, right? Like he's a shitty ruler who's just obsessed with this idea of turning, of like making bestials because he thinks the noble animals are the way to like cure all badness in the universe, which he's obviously wrong about. And we've seen that he's wrong about, but he believes that. So I think it wouldn't be illogical to assume that, that under his flawed, logic he would also think that like oh the only person who should be blessed with the amazingness of being a bestial should be my own flesh and blood because i am that awesome you know what i mean i 
Or should be blessed I... to be the first bestial that is shown to be perfect, I should say. And then after that, then everyone else can be a bestial maybe later on once he's figured it out. But the first human to bestial convert should be my own flesh and blood because I am awesome and perfect. I think you are applying a ton of philosophy and dare I say religion on the high evolutionary, which I think we we talked about in this episode, like at the beginning about him not really having outside of this obsession with creating bestials. Yeah, I guess so. And so I, I feel like the high evolutionary, like I don't think the things he does are necessarily logical. I think they're twisted and kind of messed up. And I think what you can do is you can rely on him to be doing twisted, messed up things. But I think that at least to this point, like all of those things have only made sense from the perspective of being like, this weird obsessive sort of like eugenics sort of adjacent genetic tamperer, but without like a really clear goal necessarily. Like he just keeps doing the thing yeah, without ever really giving an indication as to like why he's still doing the thing. Because initially he says that he wanted to create a world where human problems couldn't affect the world. Right. Right. But he could accomplish that right now. Like, that is a thing that he could do. He has made an entire population of bestials, and he can exterminate humans, which he has indicated now more than once that he would not be opposed to. He could just do that. But instead, I guess he's become obsessed probably because he hasn't successfully done it with this idea of turning a human into a bestial. But Karen is how old? He's been working on this for how long? Like, he's found another way to do it at this point. I don't know. I'm just maybe, not convinced. Maybe, I feel like there's... We don't know if he's done it successful. We, we haven't seen a successful human to bestial transformation, and the knights seem to imply that it's never we happened. We haven't. We, I think... I think No, I, I don't even think it's implied. I think it's been explicitly stated to us that it has not happened. He tried to do it with John, and he couldn't He couldn't complete it. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I think that the John being turned into basically a werewolf, I think, was an indication of yet another attempt... But yet another attempt after he's already created an entire population of bestials and stated he doesn't care about humanity enough to save them. I, I just I I I don't I just don't get it. And I feel like I, I don't think what you're saying is necessarily unbelievable, but I don't think any of that's really been indicated to us very strongly. So that's where I think that's where I feel like we as an audience are doing more work than we should be to try to understand what he's talking about. And I don't know how much of that is simply them trying to ensure that he stays this enigma of a figure. But at this point in the game, like if you're going to have these things happening, I feel like some of this stuff needs to be explicit, like very explicit. And I just don't think it is. And I think they've been, this episode has, I think just misplaced gravitas. Like I think it, it, it's stressing some of the wrong things and it's building up to, Moments that I don't think are that big of a deal like <laughs> in the fair. grand scheme of things. Um, so fair. I just like don't quite understand what they're indicating to us is a big deal. Like what like what in this episode is a bigger deal than anything else we've seen in this series? We saw their their base being destroyed. We've already seen that be destroyed. That's not new to us. That's a thing that's a reality of them. Mm-hmm. Him trying to turn a human into a bestial. We've seen that too. We've seen him do it twice. Him creating somebody with superpowers, cool. Sir Ram beat you to the punch, at least on screen. You know, like nothing we're seeing is is meeting this sort of like ultimate moment that I feel like I think they're communicating to us we should be anticipating. 
And then the biggest moment isn't his isn't something he's doing. It's something the revolutionaries do. Yeah. I'm not sure what the reckoning is. Was the reckoning destroying their base? Oh, I thought the reckoning was just him anticipating an assault on Wondergore Castle because Karen's being held there. Was he anticipating that? Wasn't he trying to destroy the revolutionaries when he blew up their base? Yeah, but I feel like he would under he would figure that they like that there would be some that would survive and then that would be the ones that would stage the full frontal assault, I guess. I mean, it, it's a little uh, that 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 part's a little weak. I'll give you that. The the reckoning <laughs> the reckoning thing is a little weak. I don't. I'm think unimpressed, that the, high evolutionary. Impress me. <laughs> I've been I don't, waiting, but I don't think that the Karen stuff that that stuff still works for me. Like here's the other, the, uh, like a simpler version. Okay, if you strip away like the the kind of religion and philosophy and like dogma that I was probably putting too much of it on, I'll grant you that. But I do think that his line about like finishing something he was starting is still to turn Karen into like the first human to bestial like conversion. But I I think the other reading that you could give to it is that the reason that he wants to go for doing it to like continuing that now is because he has refound his, his granddaughter. He does clearly care for her in some twisted way because, you know, he puts her in a nice room. He ends up letting her go at the end of the episode and like, is like giving her permission to like be ready for it first to like consent to it essentially. So like, I think that it's sort of like the only way that he can justify keeping her in his life being someone that he does care about is by turning her into a beast show because that's sort of like the best gift that he can give her. Hmm. And it's still finishing what he started. Like, it's still not wrong to say that he's finishing what he started because that's, I think that that's what he was trying to do to begin with. So, like, he doesn't have to he doesn't have to be, like, giving her a blessing or whatever, like I was saying before. But I do think that he is doing it out of, like, a specific emotion because she is his granddaughter. And that's that's his way of continuing his experiment is is that's the way he can kind of justify doing it to her is because it's kind of a gift to be doing that to his flesh and blood, you know? Yeah, I mean, the finishing what he started, like, I can buy that. I just, uh, I still feel like, and I wish I could identify better why or what they did to make me feel this way, but I still feel like they were building up to something much bigger than that. <laughs> still don't know why that's a significant thing uh, based on what we've seen. Sure. Like, if we, I don't, I don't even think we've really been presented a high evolutionary who's that obsessed with turning humans into bestials in the first place we don't know what he's wanted to do is the that's the that's 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 a little bit of a problem i think is that they've kept his sciencing so vague other than like creating bestials to begin with that like we don't know what he's been doing for so long so like i i do think it is a little weird like it ends up feeling kind of underwhelming because they've essentially built a mystery of sort of like what the hell is this guy's like ultimate goal and, and that's like- that's it i can point to the things now that okay right, yes he's been this mystery this whole time we have known or we've been led to believe that we are building up to finding out what he is doing. He has this literal castle full of laboratories where he does science, right? He has this entire facility in in Atlantic City where he's doing this procedure that presumably people outside of that facility don't know anything about. And we don't even, we're not even really presented with all the details of it all that much. And then he goes on to use this language of reckoning and a long time ago I prepared for this. And he's being reunited with a project or with a family member that he thought was lost X number of years ago. And I just feel like none of that is reflected in the result uh, of what of what we get. So I don't know. I mean it really it really could ultimately just just sort of like boil down to me being unimpressed with the with what they're doing and yeah. less with not understanding it. Like maybe I just understand it fine and I just 
am sort of like, that's it? No, I think that's exactly what it is. <laughs> you know? I think I think I get where you're coming from now. Yeah. I think yeah. I, I think it worked for me, but it didn't work for you because you felt like it was underwhelming. For me, I do agree that like I want to turn you into a beast show. Like it isn't like the big dramatic turn that I think the episode wants it to be. But for me, I do feel like it's been like pretty appropriately set up that that's a thing that he's been working on, even if it's kind of weird for that to have been his ultimate motivation. But I do think that that is enough of a game changer, given how the knights react to it, that like that if he does ever successfully do it, that's going to cause a lot of problems, like a lot of splits and problems within his rank. Because he's set up a world where humans are ostracized and like and, and and meant to like sort of be the scapegoat for like all of like the world's problems and then to be like, but you know, we can just turn them into the good people. Like that's gonna be met with a lot of like pushback that it that would ultimately, I think, destroy his regime, I think. Um and I think that that potential is what interests me a lot. But I understand if that like it doesn't really work for you as much. Like I'm looking at more the, the well, like what comes after. I'm interested in that dynamic. No, I'm interested in that in that dynamic. The things that I found most interesting about the show are the competing factions and motivations, right? The fact that the knights don't seem to be on the same page and they've hinted at that is great because it leaves room for those types of things to happen. Mm-hmm. But if you think if you think that that him admitting that he wants to turn all the humans into bestials is is meant to be a reveal, they undercut their own reveal twice before they got to this point. Sure. Like, that's not an effective moment to me. That's a moment that you stole from yourself twice. Yeah. And we've had those moments with other things. Like, we had the Soylent Green, it's people moment. And that was something that that I think was kept from our protagonists and kept from us in such a way that served what was going on as opposed to like the PowerPoint or the PowerPoint, the power plant <laughs> thing, right? Like they've, they've hit and miss a couple times on the types of things they've tried to reveal. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I can buy that it was meant to be a reveal. It just didn't even read to me as a reveal because it was something we already knew and were confused about. Um, so, I mean, if that's what I'm pulling from it is that this is going to cause friction among his own people, sure. I don't even know if they they indicate that. Like, I think you're right that that, that it would. No, um, I think because Lord Tiger is 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 not into the idea at all. Like, he expresses a lot of displeasure. I think so does Sir Ram too. Yeah, Sir Ram hates the idea too. Yeah, but Sir Ram was literally experimenting on humans, turning them into uh, bestials as well. Like, was he was he? doing the? Wasn't he? I don't think he was. Who was? Okay, what was he doing with all those people? Um, I don't know if he ever if they ever specified. Because no, because that was a cosmetics plant, right? That was that one. I I don't know if they were kidnapping a bunch of people to experiment. He was kidnapping a bunch of people to experiment. Oh my god, why can't I say the word (laughs) experiment? (laughs) I'm leaving all that in. (laughs) He was kidnapping a bunch of people to experiment on them, but I guess we don't know what he was doing with them. We do. We just know that he was snatching up people and experimenting on them. Um, and I I he was doing some sort of genetic fuckery we just don't know what the human's role in that was i guess but i feel like we did but i can't recall what it is so maybe we don't i don't think that we i think they were just vaguely being experimented on and then with the man wolf situation i don't think we ever saw the knights there in the flashback no we saw like silhouettes and i don't know that it was ever supposed to be clear to us who was present for that right well in that case if it's supposed to be a big reveal for those characters then do what you have already done successfully by establishing something that they understand and believe to like a dogmatic degree um, or just like have been led to believe 
and then pull the rug out from underneath them. Like, I don't, I mean, I, like I, I said, like I be- that's what they did. And they have, Lord, right. Lord Tiger has like a little, is like, has a whole little mini monologue about how, why he doesn't like it. So I, I, I feel like they do. Remind but... me of what he says. Cause I don't even remember. Um, I, I don't remember. Like that, didn't, that didn't clearly didn't land with me at all. <laughs> it's, I don't, oh God. I remember, I remember. I, I remember Sir Ram's reaction. Sir Ram is basically like, she's not worthy. If you're going to do this, you're going to do it to the scummiest scum of the humans. But I don't even remember what Lord Tiger says. Oh, uh, God. I wish I remembered exactly what he said. But he, he's like – because he – I think he even reacts before Sir Rand because he's just like, that's – Jesus, I wish I remembered. I don't remember at all what he says actually. But it's something to the to the degree of like, like I don't under – like why – like bestials are supposed to be like noble and – and like superior and, and it, like it doesn't make sense to like do this to a human or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something along those lines. So, you know, it's the same thing we've heard before, but yeah. And yeah. something that we drew, like we drew that conclusion ourselves too with right. the man wolf stuff. Right. Right. So I don't know. I, mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I'm not I just gonna, don't think it landed for me. I, I I'm feel not like, going to be able to convince you that that's well, fine. That, that, and that's okay. Like, I don't know that I, I, I don't, I don't know that this is necessarily a matter of like, uh, either one of us like arguing a particular point so much as like recognizing that we're seeing something differently and hoping yeah. to illuminate that. Yeah. And the nice thing about it is that now I kind of knowing that I'm going to go back and watch it. Like I have that context now, right? Like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm able to go into this episode again with that particular set of lenses on mm-hmm. and we'll hopefully see it differently. So it's still, I think it's still, it's still, um, it can only enhance enhance the viewing of it to kind of have that new perspective going into it. I just have to get to the point where I'm watching it again to sort of like fully fully immerse myself in that perspective. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So much of this episode feels like it is it is reliant on what came before it. Yeah. So even if like the structure and like pieces and parts fit together inside the context of the episode, it feels like so much of a culmination and a cumulative product uh, that the the if the pieces weren't there before and maybe they were and maybe they weren't, but they didn't feel like they were, uh, then I don't, I just don't know how this episode succeeds at doing what I think it's a, trying to do. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> sure. I feel like that. I feel yeah. Now I will say one thing that I really, really like that's not controversial is I really like the Foley work on Sir Ram's hooves. Yes, I, I don't yes. know why I, I noticed, noticed it too. more in this episode than before, but like you hear his hooves clackety clacking. If across... I noticed it, I think it was more prominent, like yeah. honestly, because I've never noticed that before. And I yeah. typically don't notice as much of that stuff. Yeah. So they must have done something different. They also do it for another beast deal as well. I don't know if you noticed. Oh, I, d- I don't think I noticed that. But mostly it's for him. Yeah. Yeah. Which I like it. I think that's really because a lot of some other ones wear shoes and he clearly doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It's just a nice little attention to detail that they have with that. I like it. And it's a pleasant sound. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. No, I, I, I it, it. it is. A, it is a pleasant sound. I don't know why, but it is. It's like satisfying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, like yeah, clip clopping. It's used well. And I believe this is also in the scene when the High Evolutionary is confronting Karen in that like highly controversial conversation. She tells him, <laughs> she tells him to get a life. I know. Oh, so good. That that was one of the insults that I was referring to. It's so funny because he's just like, my sciencing, my science, my science. And she's just like, dude, oh, my God. Can you just like read a book, like go to the movies, like mm-hmm. like pick up knitting or some, do something? Oh, my God. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. I know. There's something so like 
so simple and beautiful about telling somebody to get a life. <laughs> it's so, because it's like it's so, so like if you're using it correctly and accurately, it so perfectly like encapsulates everything wrong with the person that you're telling it to. Yeah. <laughs> it diminishes like everything that they've just communicated to you matters. And you're right. like, what the fuck, man? Like, right. Get- Get a life. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Care about literally anything else. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. It's good. Yeah. So just as he uh, he orders Karen to be taken to the laboratory to have that bestial transformation, the revolutionaries begin their full frontal attack on the castle. So the high evolutionary orders the knights to leave Karen in the chamber. They're figuring like, hey, we've got that DNA specific force field to keep her in prison. So it'll be fine. Just leave the doors wide open. We got the force field. Doesn't matter. So as the battle is ensuing outside of Wondergore Castle with a lot of like chubby raccoon guards, I might so add. So many. Who like a lot, a lot. I guess raccoons are just like their go to security force. <laughs> somebody, or somebody on staff has a fetish. Maybe I, guess I mean, so. I'm not against it. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think it's funny that they basically make all raccoons chubby. <laughs> no, I guess I like they, I guess raccoons kind of look chubby. I think like, most of it's fur, but their they, body they, shape is sort of is is sort of like bottom is sort of very bottom heavy. I think. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just it's such a funny thing that it's so consistent. Like every raccoon on the show is just like a little tubby. <laughs> yeah, I dig it. I'm into it. I like yeah. it. I like it. And, and the other guard, any other guards that we see are usually like insect the guards, like maybe mm-hmm. like mantis type type uh, type yeah, guards. Yeah, there are it's a cool. lot of insect bestials in this one. Yeah, I, like, I it. like it. And they all have good designs too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, as the battle's ensuing outside Wondergore Castle, Spider-Man breaches the uh, castle security through a hole blasted in the exterior. After going invisible and taking out a number of those cool-looking guards we were talking about, he finds Karen's private chamber and is like, dude, the door's wide open. What are you doing, you weirdo? And she's like, oh, the DNA force field. And like his, so his response is like, oh, it's catered to your DNA? Okay, I'm going to confuse the force field with my spider molecules and just whips her up into his arms and jumps through it, which, by the way, if this weird plan didn't work, which it shouldn't have because it doesn't make any sense, if it didn't work, he would have just, like, smacked her, like, really hard into that force field. <laughs> yes. That's that's what I think – I mean, this is, again, applying logic where it wasn't meant to be applied. I think that's what should have happened. I also think that they could have just said that it was a force field that – would keep human DNA out. And we sort of have suspected that the high evolutionary has enhanced himself using animal or bestial DNA or something. And then the only other people we saw in that room were bestials. Mm -hmm. And we have sort of thought that maybe Spider-Man could be mistaken for a bestial because he has animal DNA in him. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I think this actually would have just worked fine if it wasn't her specific DNA. And it was just like, this is a human force field. But then they couldn't have claimed that, like, he knew her DNA code or whatever. Yeah, it's weird. Because then I think it would have made a little bit more sense because then it's like, oh, okay, like if the force field senses bestials walking through it, then it just cools its jets. And then they could they could walk freely in and out as long as she's accompanied or escorted by a bestial. And they would have no reason to believe that, like anything other than that would happen. All of the guards are bestials. All the staff are bestials. Mm-hmm. High evolutionary is literally the only one in that entire castle. I believe that is not fully a bestial. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. So I would buy it if that were the case, but that's not what they explained. So it just ends up being kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, it is funny. Spider molecules. Okay, yep. buddy. All right. Thanks. I didn't. Yeah, you're a great scientist, Peter. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> I love when the show just like forgets he's a scientist. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, well... So before they can escape the castle, they, it's funny. They do a little like Spidey runs with Karen like in his arms, like into a hallway. And then I guess it's a dead end or something because he's immediately like, oops, and then turns around and runs back into the hallway they were just in where the high evolutionary is approaching them. It's, yeah, a, little, it's, 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 it's a weird little bit. I don't know. <laughs> the fact that he says oops, like he literally audibly says oops, makes me think that it was meant to it's be just like. It's supposed to be funny, right? A funny, yeah. Like, oh, I shouldn't have gone this way. Like, I think. Yeah. I think that might have been an animation thing. It was probably scripted to be that, and they just didn't have time or didn't correctly animate, like, running into a hallway or something. So he just, like, runs off screen and runs back on screen, and we don't know why. <laughs> um, but I believe it was just, like, runs into, like, a room with a dead end, and it's just like, oh, I just realized I don't know how to navigate the building that I'm in. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> So that happens, and, and of course, like I said, the high evolutionary is walking in the hallway and confronts them. <laughs> they throw, like, there's a cool scene where Karen throws a candelabra as Spidey shoots his web darts. So that's kind of fun. Okay, I love this. I yeah. feel like I've been pretty down on this episode, but this this is actually phenomenal because that candelabra that she throws is explicitly shown in that exact same hallway earlier in the episode. It's a detail that 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 they didn't have to include. It's like a it's it's a set piece or like a prop or whatever that mm-hmm. didn't need to be there before because they grab stuff all the time just wherever is convenient. Mm-hmm. But it's explicitly in the background of an interaction that is being had, and it's the exact same candelabra or yeah. the same kind. And like that, I love that. It's so unnecessary, and it's such an attempt. Like it's such a lovely little attention to detail uh that i feel like is is exciting to me yeah and then she uses it in exactly the way that they've established that she would which is to throw it directly at someone's head yeah it's good it's good i like it it's a good fight sequence too i think yeah. i mean it's it's a brief one but it's it's karen spider-man and the high evolutionary who has like telekinetic abilities so like it's three very different fight styles mm-hmm you know, and I think like I wish this show did action a little bit better because they it could have been like executed like really amazingly. But you know, within the constraints that they have, I think it works fine. He Spidey is able to manage to land like a single massive punch, uh, but it's still not enough because the high evolutionary is is unfortunately like a badass, and the yep. two can and uh, he and and Karen continue to take a beating. Finally. Karen begs for the high evolutionary to just let them go. Like I think she sees that they are. On the losing end right now, he's just like, just let us go. And then that hits an emotional chord for the High Evolutionary because it transitions into two very tiny flashbacks where it's his uh, his son saying explicitly, she's your granddaughter, your own flesh and blood. How could you? Um, and also, you experimented on her, altered her DNA. By the way, I think the daughter, or daughter-in-law, is, uh, is voiced by Jennifer Hale. Pretty sure that's oh, explicitly her voice. that would make sense. But yeah, so they're yelling at him and then and then both the, the son and his wife leave the high evolutionary's home with suitcases. That's probably the last time he, they, he ever saw them. That's why they changed their name and, and, and went into hiding. It's because they realized that, uh, that granddaddy was experimenting on, on grandbaby and that's not good. He's a monster. A monster. But clearly, like, he does have some kind of humanity in him because, like... 
her begging for her life <laughs> is like reminding him be like, oh shit, you, you are my own flesh and blood. You're my granddaughter and that's bad. And my kids made it very clear that it's bad. And I lost everything because of it. Um, so he's very disturbed by these flashbacks. So he decides to Karen and Spider-Man surprise that he'll just let the two go. But he does tell Karen that he will finish what he started, but not until she's ready. Oh, 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 sorry, not to break into this, like, emotional moment, but I missed the part where when Karen is confronting him, she oh, tells yep. him to suck an egg, butt brain. Butt brain. She calls him a butt brain. That is the funniest fucking shit I have ever heard. It is, so, like, what? That's, like, who wrote that line? I want to shake so their hand. Funny. It cracked me up. It is even better in the context that this is the high evolutionary who's like very regal yeah. and hoity-toity and her grandfather, even though she doesn't uh-huh. know that. Like everything you know about it makes that that like juvenile ass insult so funny. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's, it's brilliant. It is like a stupid kind of brilliant that is so perfect in that context. I, oh God. So it good. Is. So good. It is. It is. Oh, my gosh. It is so good. <laughs> oh, man. It's so funny. More um, of that, Karen. More of that, please. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 he's he's basically giving Karen the option to, like, consent to this, like, procedure to turn to a bestial, which mm-hmm. makes me really wonder, like, what the second season would have looked like. Like, would he have been – would it be sort of like a temptation of Karen thing where he's constantly, like, offering things to Ooh. her and trying to get in contact with her and, like, win her over to his side rather than just trying to, like, blow up her and her friends all the time? Like, that could look really interesting. The last um, temptation of Jesus Karen. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'll be very interested to see what that would have looked like. Oh, um, yeah. Because I think it would have been really cool. And I think that this, I think that Karen would have majorly played into like the, the, the actual end game of this show. But oh, gosh, yeah. that would have been awesome. <laughs> I, know, I know. But yeah, so, you know, he walks off. He tells Spider-Man that he and all humankind will rue this day. <laughs> cool. He's a total <laughs> dork. And Spider-Man agrees because Spider-Man literally in response to this scratches his head and shrugs as the high evolutionary walks away. Just sort of like, all right, that happened. <laughs> he doesn't even have a quip for it. It's just like, okay. Nope. It's not worth a quip. <laughs> I guess we'll leave now? Okay. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for that moment. <laughs> if you didn't think you were a villain, I hope you heard what just came out of your mouth. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> uh, all right. So we're pretty much done with this because now that they are let free – right? Karen is safe. John basically says like, all right, we got what we came for. Everybody, we're done here. We got Karen. No need to attack the headquarters of our main antagonist, even though we're doing all right. Uh, (laughs) The episode, right? (laughs) The episode ends with the revolutionaries leaving and deciding to make Coney Island uh, their new base of operations. And I guess I should point out that like, for some reason, uh, they were they were clearly excited to make Coney Island a thing in this show because they dropped that reference like at least twice in this episode before they chose Coney Island. Yeah. So I don't know what what role Coney Island specifically would have played or like what they were excited to do with it. But I can imagine there would have been some fun sort of like abandoned amusement park base types of things they could have done. Sure. So I would have yeah. liked to see it. Yeah. 
and maybe we'll get a taste of it next episode. We'll see. But um, they decide to make Coney Island their new base of operations, um, and we get Karen looking at a locket photo of a younger version of herself. Uh, We know this simply because her hair color and eye color are the same. And we (laughs) see her with her parents, which are an older version of the couple in the High Evolutionary's flashbacks, which just serves to confirm, basically, if you weren't believing what was going on, that all of the things they said about her being family was like, right, and the flashbacks were accurate, and blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. So just closes that up. Yep, yep. Leaves no room for doubt. Yep, yep, yep. Before we get to our final thoughts, just real quick face of the episode. Um, there weren't really a lot of like great faces in this one, but I do like, I don't know what I like about it, but there's just like a funny little face when Spider-Man and X-51 are teaming up, which I love the two of them together, but they just like have a reaction to the machine men storming in. And I kind of like, because both of them are sort of like pretty generally emotionless faces. Like they can't really emote very much. Mm-hmm. And yet like both of them like leaning into each other and like reacting like, oh shit, like, it's still clear, even though their faces don't look any different than how they normally look. I guess it's the body language. I don't know why, but I like it because they're buddies. No, I, 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 I don't even think you needed to explain it that much because the moment I saw this frame in the episode, I was like, I'm going to grab that for the face of the episode. So <laughs> okay, I was right good. there with you. I don't know if this is some. I imagine that this is just me being slow on the uptake, but it took me this many episodes to see that the machine men are all basically huge smiling all the time. <laughs> like the yellow on their their head, I don't know why, it, but it's like in the shape of like a massive grin. Oh God, I can never, uns- I never noticed that either and I'm yeah. never going to be able to unsee oh, it yeah. now. No, the moment I, and this was the frame that made me think of it. And the moment I saw it, yeah, every machine man is basically just like maniacally smiling all the time. Can't, can't undo it. Sorry, everyone. Weird. Weird. Well, okay. Yeah, thanks. At least there's only one episode left now, so it's not <laughs> ruined. It's ruined forever, but at least there's only one episode more that I have to ha- exist with it being ruined for me. Cool. <laughs> Just make them cuter. That's fine, I guess. Yeah. Well, in the case of X51, <laughs> like, I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Final thoughts of this episode. I liked it a lot. You clearly hated it with every fiber of your being and hate all of Spider-Man Unlimited because of it now. It's the worst thing ever, right? Like, that's 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 what I got from it. No, I'm just kidding. Um. Yeah. Um, if you want to check out our <laughs> Patreon. <laughs> no, I um, I mean, I still am at a point right now where this is um, – it's a complicated episode to have contained thoughts on because, like I said, I think that a lot of what this episode relies on is being a culmination of things that we've already seen. Um, I don't – I didn't – and I'm, I'm like I said, I'm eager to go back and watch it with your thoughts now in my brain – because I'm hoping that I will see it and appreciate it a little bit differently. But walking away from the episode, I was like, okay, this is an episode that's very much reliant on the continuity of everything that we've seen and doesn't really have a ton of its own sort of like contained story to it. Like it it, it really stands on the episodes that came before it. Mm-hmm. And the result of it just didn't pack really any sort of punch for me. I felt like the payoff just simply wasn't proportional to the buildup. And that isn't necessarily – the thing that's tough about that is that isn't necessarily an indicator that something was done or constructed poorly so much as like the emotional sort of takeaway from everything building up to this, um, which is like not objective. Like that's Mm -hmm. the thing that's hard about it might not have been there for at least one person watching, right? And so it's like a hard thing to to wrestle with because what I was left with was that sort of like lack of a punch. That's fair. So now what my task is, obviously, is to go back and try to watch it as best as I can 
in one sense out of context um, simply to see what happens and to see if maybe that increases like some sort of appreciation or if I can see things differently than I did the first time. And that could end up resulting in a more positive experience. Mm -hmm. I do still think that if that's required of an episode that I, I think was meant to sort of be a, a release of buildup, um, then I don't know if you succeeded in the thing that you were doing. So I just, I'm like, I'm it's, it's weird. It's a weird reaction to it because it's not even like the things that happened are things where I'm like, ooh, I have like a strong reaction against that. This show has rarely done things that I just feel strongly like opposed to. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, it's weird because I don't know that we've watched anything yet that felt like it meant to pack a punch that I didn't get a punch from. Sure. <laughs> the things that we've watched so far that felt like they meant to pack a punch, I got the punch. So I don't know what didn't connect about this one for me. Um, and it's like hard. It's it's like sort of intangible things to point to because if the punch landed for you and it didn't land for me, like there's no really reconciling why that is. I um, I I think something that might help you is me realizing better now that I've kind of talked through it, what I liked about it. And I think for me, it was less the punch that it packed so much as seeing the potential for where it could go from here. Um, Which I'm normally like right there with you. So I'm excited that's the stuff that you pulled out from it mm-hmm. because that's always to this point been the stuff that's excited me the most, right? Like what are the what are the the dynamics and, and how do – like the established dynamics mm-hmm. and how do these events affect those dynamics? So that is exciting to me. Like yeah. uh, that's the most exciting thing I think to come out of like that, that stretch of conversation we were having about it. Um, so I'm pumped about that. That's the stuff that really worked for me a lot is because I feel like they, as much as like the payoff was just kind of like, oh, okay, like the setup, the further setup that comes from that payoff, I think is really, really engaging and seems to be setting up a lot of stuff for what would have been like a future season or maybe even future seasons, plural. So mm-hmm. I, and, and and it's all stuff that I'm very excited about. I think, you know, I think there's a, we- a weird benefit to it having been canceled after one season because we're never going to really know if they could have executed what they were setting up. And that means that I can just assume that would have all been paid off perfectly <laughs> and what they were setting up was <laughs> the stuff that I were thinking that they were setting up and it would have been great. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's kind of an unfair way to, like, assess this episode in a way. But then again, it was also written with, like, the idea in mind that this was going to go on past the first season, that viewers would assume that it was going to be con- continuing and that they could theorize stuff. Yeah. And so that excitement for me is as if I was watching this live, not knowing how long it was going to go and assuming that it could go for a while and theorizing what could happen next. And I feel like they planted a lot of seeds that could have led to really, really really great stuff and led to like really great like future finales and things especially and i think this episode does a great job at seeding those things um while also kind of like giving a little more humanity to high evolutionary at least giving like the potential for really cool stuff to happen with karen further and sort of mediate a lot of the a lot of the concerns and complaints that we had about her throughout the first season that i don't know would necessarily be there if they could apply the stuff that we learned about her going forward which i'd hope that they would yeah i'm i'm very excited about what they set up karen to be not necessarily hmm i'm excited that they i'm less excited about the fact that she's i'm honestly far less excited about the fact that she's related to the high evolutionary 
then she is set up as being somebody who is experimented on, which could have been the case without being connected to the high evolutionary. I actually don't care that she's related to the high evolutionary at all. It doesn't do anything for me. Um, Okay. I can see that. I do think the experimentation thing is interesting, but I do think her being connected to the high evolutionary means that that's always going to be a connection that the revolutionaries have to him that they didn't have previously other than being antagonists. So that's going to create like character tension because especially because high evolutionary knows and Karen does so that's a mystery for, to unfold for her to eventually learn, for us to see how she reacts to that. And depending on what events are happening in her life at the time that she learns it could also affect her reaction. I could see it being a case where she like defects to the high evolutionary side or like be, or, or pretends to defect to his side and becomes a mole, which could be a really interesting situation to put her in. Like I think that there's a lot of openings for her to enter into the world of the high evolutionary that could – make her more interesting, give her more agency, give her lots of fun stuff to do and could really throw a wrench into like the entire society and world that's been built. Yeah, no. And I, I, I can't argue with any of that. Like, I think that's all, that's all, those are all like very legit possibilities of the things that you could do with her. Hmm. I I don't know how to articulate why it doesn't work for me other than like, I just, I, I don't know. Like, it just was like, okay, cool. Like you're, you're related, I guess. Like, yeah. but it's also, gives, it's also like, it's, I think this episode, because like we said, it's unfortunately less about her and more about him. And I do think that it at, finally adds a little bit more layer of, of, of humanity and complexity to him. Not do a I lot. Want humanity from him. That's the thing I'm wrestling with, to be quite um, honest. And I think that's probably, that hmm. probably sounds like an absolutely ridiculous question, but I honestly don't know if I do want humanity from him. I think he is, he's, he, I think he's interesting by simply being this, and and this, this can't sustain him forever. So I might be sort of fighting with myself, but like, I think he's been really interesting by being this weird, almost maniacal, like obsessive creator God figure. And I don't know that making him more human through a relationship to one of the humans necessarily enhances that aspect of him it changes things and i don't know that it changes things for the for for the worse so that's the thing that i just need to recalibrate for you know what mm-hmm. i mean i think it's a little confusing to me because i i it's not that i can't see what they might want to do with it it's more me wrestling with what they were doing to this point i suppose i don't i don't know hmm hmm, hmm. Yeah, I think that's I fair. I do think that it, it could be something that could, if they did it well, could play into like larger themes of the show. The yeah. idea that like, you know, because we've seen a lot unfolding in this first season about how like the 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 rigid structure that we were presented that like humans are lower class, bestials are upper class because they're better. Like that's the, how broken that actually is and untrue that is. And mm-hmm. obviously throwing a human into the situation where someone who is ostensibly a human <laughs> is like, related to the creator of the bestials that's automatically going to like kind of spin everything out of control like her entire existence which has clearly been kept from people does it set him up for redemption because i don't want that i don't want that either and i'd hope that's not i'd hope that that's not where it goes um i could see that being where it goes and i think that there's problematic aspects to being like like terrible person, but he has a daughter and that makes him good because he's a dad now or whatever. Like, I think that there's, there's kind of ickiness around that. And I could being 1999 or 2001 or whatever it was, I could see that being, being a thing that they try to do that doesn't hold up. 
But um, I could also see it not being a case and just being a thing that complicates things. And Yeah, I think that's worst case scenario. I think best case scenario is that it, it, it manifests in the ways that you had mentioned, which are they utilize her to take advantage of him. And I actually think it would be really cool if she were on board with that and never really connected with the high evolutionary. Yeah. But was able to take advantage of him by pretending that was the case or or things like that. Like if she does become the saboteur that you mentioned she could be, that they could do they definitely could do super cool stuff with that under the conditions for me that he is not redeemed and that she doesn't actually end up caring for him because I think that's where you end up in the sort of like icky problematic area that I'm just not interested in. Like sometimes bad guys are just bad guys and that's okay. Yeah. They can be complicated bad guys. Like they don't need to be like like uh, I was gonna say comic book villains, but these are literally <laughs> comic book villains. Yeah, they don't need to be like cartoonish, um, like one dimensional villains. Sure. Um, and I don't think he has been because he's been so messy and obsessive that he's naturally complicated himself by complicating the world around him, and and sort of like laying out some of these inconsistencies we've had questions about. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe there's some sort of like uh, like subconscious alarm going off that was like, this better not be redemption. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair because we get a lot of those those things and they're often they often don't hold up very yeah. well. Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. That's interesting. That is very interesting. What a what a what a fascinating result to come out of this. We I, we have never seen something so differently or reacted yeah. so differently. Um, Because I don't, again, I don't know if it's us seeing it differently. I don't even know if that's totally accurate to what's happening. I'm not really sure. Yeah. What a, what a, what a baffling, baffling situation. I love it though. That's fun. It is. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) This is, this is the most disagreement that we've ever had. There is, well, there's a spectacular thing that I can think of, but it's more because I know, I knew spoilers and you didn't. So I had to kind of (laughs) hold my tongue, but I actually disagreed with what you had to say. We'll come up to that when we get back to the second season, which will be happening very soon. Interesting. Yeah, no, but you're right. This was a, this was a very fun conversation for me, I think. It's thought provoking for sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If you want more thought provoking conversations about other things that are sometimes Spider-Man related and sometimes not. You can visit us on our Patreon, where we have lots of bonus episodes. Ooh la la. Yeah. So we can go to patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. We have tons and tons and tons of content. We are constantly pumping out over there. So check us out there for more of us. If you want more of us on the internet, though, individually, where can we find you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at Ikibuli, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. And you can find me on another podcast here on the 4-Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it. How about you, Derek? You can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on my YouTube series, Second Chance, which is a video essay series that looks at bad or divisive media, but from a positive lens. If you would like to find Walloping Web Snappers, more from us, you can actually visit us on our new website. It's probably not new at this point because it's been a few weeks, but it's still new-ish comparative to, to, to the 51 episodes we've been producing. Uh, <laughs> wallopingwebsnappers.com, where we have a full archive of all of our episodes. We also kind of sort our episodes out, so if you want to try to find, find one or only look at one particular series or something like that. Uh, We kind of categorize them 
there, um, as well as faces of the episode and, and, and other goodies and source links and things like that. Um, you can also follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Walloping Web Pod. If you have any thoughts, feedback, if you want to contribute to this very complicated conversation we were having today, you can email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear more about you guys' thoughts on Spider-Man Unlimited, honestly, because uh, I know that there's a lot of controversial thoughts about this show, and I'm very curious about how controversial ours are, or if we've like won you over to the show or something like that. Really would love to know, truly. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe to us anywhere you get your podcasts, but especially on Apple Podcasts, because that is where most people find new podcasts, let's be real. So help people find our show and hear lots about Spider-Man Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. Next week... We're almost done. We reached the unintended series finale of Spider-Man Unlimited. Not the last thing we will do on Spider-Man Unlimited. I'll give you a little special hint about that. It won't be the last episode we do on Spider-Man Unlimited, but it is the last episode that was produced of Spider-Man Unlimited with the series finale, Destiny Unleashed. Not really an appropriate sound effect, but I did it anyway. Bye. Um, and my cat is, hi, champion. You just poked your head into my blanket fort. Well, <laughs> I heard you were talking about bestials. <laughs> and he's gone. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Um,